Welcome back to Let's Jaws for a Minute, the podcast which takes a deep dive into Steven Spielberg's 1975 classic film, Jaws, one minute at a time or thereabouts. I'm your co-host, MJ Smith. And I am Sarah Buddery, and we have a guest this week. Uh, Very excited. We haven't had a guest for a little while, so uh, very happy to be having some people uh, joining us for these discussions. Uh, And the person we've got joining us today is a huge Jaws fan. I know this for a fact. Uh, And it is Darren Wadsworth. Hey, Darren, welcome to the show. Hi, thank you. Thanks for for having me on to talk about my favourite film. Oh, of course, you've already passed the test because you've said it is your favourite <laughs> film. Um, but of course, we have to ask you uh, the Jaws question, which we ask all of our guests. Uh, so what is it about about Jaws that you love so much? Or you know, perhaps you want to tell us a little bit about your relationship with this film and, and why you want to come on to a, a minute-by-minute breakdown podcast to talk about it? Well, um, I mean, it all goes back... I, I was a toddler when, the, um, when Jaws first came out. But even... Even as a really small little kid, I, I picked up on the whole Jaws phenomenon because whenever I would um, I would see uh, hear the uh, hear the Jaws music, whether it was because of, on an advert or on a news thing or something, I always knew that that meant shark, and I always knew who <laughs> to to go and run and hide, and and just to show how um, how, how it affected me, the, the first pets that I remember having were two goldfish. One of them was called Flipper, and the other one was called Jaws. <laughs> <laughs> and um, and I, I also I'm, I'm told this. I have vague re- uh, uh, recollection of this is that when I was a real little kid, I was uh, begging my uh, grandparents to buy me a Jaws T-shirt. Uh, you know, because there was this uh, T-shirt of the classic uh, movie poster. Now I, I was begging my grandparents to buy me one. And my grandmother's, as grandmothers do, being very accommodating, my grandmother bought me this Jaws shirt and she showed it to me. And as soon as I saw it, I kind of backed off and refused to wear it because it was the shark thing. It scared me so much. So it, it just it just ended up in a in a drawer so, somewhere, you know, after all this time. So, um, but the uh, the first time that I that I actually saw Jaws, and I've actually got the date. It was um, October the eighth, nineteen eighty one, and I know this because it was actually the first time it was shown on UK on UK television. And uh, so I'd be about eight, which is probably quite young to be seeing a film uh, like that. Um, And the thing is, back in those days, a a film being shown on television was like a really, really big deal because uh, video recorders weren't sort of like a big thing at that point, except for a few like really sort of specialist people. And so, you know, when when a film was on TV, it it was like a real event. And I, I remember on the day that the uh, that Jaws was going to be shown, um, our our television broke down, which <laughs> for for most now, nowadays this is something that probably people wouldn't really understand. But back in those days, household households normally just had one TV. 
Nowadays, people in the bedrooms have them, have your kitchen and the office, whatever. <laughs> but we just had one television and that broke on the day that yours was going to be shown. So we all uh, got in the car and drove over town to my grandparents' house yeah. so, we could, so we could watch it with them because it, <clears throat> it was a really, really big deal. And, and I actually looked it up at the... Um, at the time, apparently about half the country was actually watching Jaws on that night. It, you know, it was a really, really big deal. And I, I just fell, even at that young age, I just absolutely fell in love with the, with the film. And, you know, not just the shark, but the, the characters I absolutely adored. I thought Quint was so funny. I liked it when we were singing. Um, I jumped at the, uh, the Ben Garner head, head scene. Um, absolutely scared the hell out of me but the uh, it, it's really stuck with me and the next time by the time that the next um, the next time it was on television we had a Betamax video recorder so I was able to t tape it off TV and um, edit out the um, pause it when it came to the uh, ad breaks mm. and I, it was a time when I was watching Jaws nearly every single day there was, uh, uh, there was a summer holiday. I had two, um, I had two videotapes. One of them had Star Wars, and the other one had Jaws on. And I, I think it was a summer holiday when, if I wasn't watching one, I was watching the other. And a lot of the time, I would watch both films on the same day. And I, I've just, I've, I've always had this massive affection for it. And I think one, one of the things I love about it is that whenever I listen to a podcast or watch a documentary, there's new stuff I learn about the film. You know, even no matter how many times I've seen it, I'll uh, you know, and your, your podcast obviously going through it minute by minute. There's things that you'll say that I think I've never noticed that or never looked at it in that way mm. before. And I think it's just a, a, aside from being like the original blockbuster and everything, it's just a film that just works so well. There's so many different themes going on, just the the way it's shot, the way it tells the story. I, I just I, th I think it is as close to a, a perfect film as your ever going to get it's it's absolutely amazing and it's just a fit when when i heard when i heard you know you guys doing this minute by minute and that you're having guests i knew i had to be on here at least once <laughs> you know for, for one minute no matter what minute one i wanted to get on here but yeah so um yeah so i'm a i'm a jaws fanatic mm -hmm, mm -hmm. i love all of that i think it's so yeah great that you like that you remember like the exact day that you sort of saw it for the first time and the great story that there is there as well and we've spoken uh quite a bit on this show actually about like how often it is shown on uk tv it seems mm -hmm. to be like every week or every other week it is on um mj i remember sending you like a screenshot of our like tv schedule um one week and how many times it was on and obviously you had the various like repeats because of the the plus one channels and whatnot um but in a like a two-week period it was shown like three or four times which was pretty insane um so it's great to to have you on darren and, and remembering the sort of the first time it was shown on tv i think that's that's incredible and it's uh it's clearly a film that has stuck with you and seems to particularly speak to um british audiences i mean otherwise it wouldn't it wouldn't continue to be shown on tv and i think that's that's been a really fascinating thing for us to to try and unpack as well like what it is about this film that that gives it that staying power and um this scene that we're talking about this week is another great scene packed with 
fantastic quint moments uh we're really getting into some of the most quotable bits of the film now i feel um i mean this whole film is quotable but it seems that quint as a character in particular is is very very quotable um so the scene that we are talking about this week the timestamp is from one hour nine minutes and ten seconds to one hour ten minutes and thirty eight seconds uh, so they are out of Quint's cabin now. They are loading up the orca for their trip. Um, Quint sort of comes down with his his first mate and they've got their, their equipment that they're loading onto the boat. And Hooper has got some pals there and they're sort of going through this very high-tech equipment that they have. Um, Quint remarks uh, whether he's some kind of half-assed astronaut, which is one of many great lines. Then we see the shark cage, which is very significant later on. Um, Quint makes some comments about that as well. And then we get our first rendition of uh, farewell and adieu to fair Spanish ladies. So a, uh, a notable moment in the film, as that is something that uh, a motive that is repeated sort of throughout is is the singing of that song um, at key moments. So I Sarah, know we're going to... Yeah? W- would you say that <clears throat> this moment is quintessential? Way. Uh. <laughs> hey, that you was bound what? to happen sometime. We might as well get it out of the way right now. Yeah, I, I'm i very glad that we found uh, the moment to say it. I was going to say it, but then I was like, uh, <laughs> <laughs> this feels like MJ has got this line brewing inside him. So I didn't want to take it away from me. <laughs> I know you too well. I know how much you love a pun. Um, yep. Yes. This is uh, our quintessential moment uh, in the the film. Um, Darren, uh, I'm sure you've got lots to say, as uh, as we will as well. So do you want to start us off uh, with something that you you noticed in this scene or appreciated in this scene that you'd you'd like to tell us about? I mean, one of my favourite relationships in the entire film is, um, is Quinton Hooper. You, you know, I, I think that they have such a, and this is why I love this, uh, getting to talk about this minute, because it's obviously a lot of it is just them two together. And but one of the things that I always find fascinating, and it it's basically comes down to the idea of um, class and you could say masculinity as well, that is, they're, mm-hmm. they're so different and opposites. And, and the thing is, what's strange about it is they're very... Um, they have some things in common, but the things they have in common, basically how like how different they are. So both of them are basically obsessed with with sharks. Both both of them basically are you know basically they have jobs which are to do with the sea. But it's a very different reason that they have for being obsessed with sharks. So Hooper, for example, and both of them had a trauma. Well, basically had an experience with a shark that changed their lives. So Hooper, for example. He uh, he was basically out in his boat, and he was uh, had this encounter with shark, which actually inspired him to want to basically um, do a vocation of basically studying and sharks. Like he says, he's in love with sharks. Quint's um, experience is very different, and he had a traumatic experience, which you know, which you know, he was almost killed. He had his his friends killed before his eyes, and and it's that sort of. If you ever saw a film called um, Parasite. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, it's like the difference has been in class. So in Parasite, there's a scene where they um, there's a rich family who are watching this uh, storm and they're basically like really, really inspired by this storm because it's so beautiful and dramatic. And yet it shows you the working class people down in the um, in the slums and the storm's causing a flood that's basically like killing them. 
And it's like that difference in between the two things here, the stuff that basically the, the um, upper classes will find exciting and inspiring is stuff that like, well, like, you know, the working people like Quint basically like, you know, kills them basically. It's, it's that sort of difference. And I think that's that kind of thing that the whole class thing right from the start of them to uh, meeting drives a massive wedge between them, you know, so to, you know, there's, uh, you know, Quint basically just sort of, you know, looks down on Hooper. Uh, and the, the scene is, I mean, and you can see it as well with the with the with the equipment. You know, um, Hooper's got like this really expensive equipment that he's bought and that he's he's, he's going to use. And and Quint's basically everything that he done is stuff that he's kind of like built himself. Like the boat's customized with the barrels that you get the idea that he's come up with this idea himself how to um, you know how to battle sharks. Um, but there's uh, you know and. It's, it's just that sort of, you know, that difference that in, in that scene, you know, um, Hooper basically, um, sorry, Quint, is really sort of derogatory to uh, Hooper about his equipment. He makes this comment about uh, what is this, a, um, a portable shower. So he's kind of using that sort of masculine macho thing. You know, so like, you're a college boy, you need your um, your comforts and that. Even though I, I you know, he, I, he knows it's not a, <laughs> a shower, but it's that thing that he's putting him down because if he's a pleasure boater and that he's somebody who's a, um, uh, you know, almost like effeminate because he's like an, an educated man where he's like a man of the sea and he's like a macho thing. And I think that I just find that whole relationship fascinating now it changes in the film. And I think this is here because you've got the two of them. You know, not not arguing, but that sort of like um, antagonism to it. I, I just think that you know this is a really fascinating moment. It's one of the few times as well that we're talking, and that Brody's not actually around. Yeah. You know, it's just the two of them. Yeah, I think that's really important that that Brody's not around. This is the first time Quint and Hooper interact with without Brody. He's off with Ellen, and um, I think that that adds a lot of weight to the scene that we don't necessarily think about until we watch it like this. Um, because, and what I love about this movie, um, I was thinking about this while you were talking, Darren, is um, they do have a lot in common. Like, they're both very seafaring men, mm. but they're also both very into sharks, um, uh, either the capture and kill or the the study of. Um, but at no point is there this like really contrived like we ain't so different you and i type of conversation <laughs> that they have like no one says that in the movie and i love that the the script credits the audience with the it, like the intelligence enough to read that into the film because it's all there it's all on display it's all very easy to access if you think about it for 2 seconds and i like a movie that does that like it's 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 not hard to analyze the film it's i think that's one of the reasons why we get an hour of content out of this every week not that we don't work hard on what we're doing obviously but it's it's all there for us like most of you know very rarely do i feel like we have to either scramble to fill an hour if at all i don't think it felt like that at all and if you listen to our episodes we don't do a lot of like behind the scenes making of type stories. It's a lot of analysis because there's so much minute to minute mm -hmm. that's happening. That's just right there for people to talk about. And this scene is no exception. It's uh, I mean, it's, it's full of, of the themes that we've been talking about the last couple of weeks, but 
to see Hooper and, and Brody kind of on his, on their or Hooper and Quint kind of on their own. Um, it feels a little more like a high wire act than it does when you have that like kind of anchor of Brody. Like you, you felt like in the last scene when, when Quint grabs Hooper's hands, Brody's still in the middle there. And Brody's also still the chief of police. So if Quint does anything like crazy there, he's arrested you know like there's there's obviously the threat of like okay there are going to be consequences if you do anything to like really hurt or assault hooper here but now with him out of the picture it it is kind of like uh hey what's uh what's gonna happen is he going to you know step out and and try something a little even more aggressive than he was in the previous scene and so there's this sort of like there's this tension in there, especially at the end. And I'm sure we'll talk about that more in detail. Like when he's singing where you're like, is he going to do something to Hooper? Or <laughs> what, what, what is this about? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, the, the sort of the first observation I, I made when watching the scene is this sort of same, same, but different thing we get with Quint and Hooper. And it's such a great way of creating this natural tension between the two because like you've both said they they do have so many similarities and yet they could not be more different as well and i think darren as you were talking about their sort of you know the the things that had happened in the past with them and the sharks for the first time i've kind of really sat down and and thought about the fact that you know what it is they are doing with the hang on this word this correctly what it is they are doing with the sharks based on like what has happened to them in the past so you know hooper what happened to hooper was still like i mean like it it sounds like he was pretty young when it happened and you know that would have been pretty scary um but he turned that sort of a, a shark biting his his boat and eating his oars and everything else into something you know he wanted to study them and learn more about them and he you know he says it himself he he loves he loves sharks he is obviously taking this equipment out there that will kill the shark if if need be but it's you know it's done in the most humane way as you know as much as a, a lethal injection is is humane in this sense whereas obviously quint has got you know the harpoons and the sort of more traditional fishing equipment and yeah, so Hooper has this this fascination with sharks, and he is going aboard the boat because he brings something to the to the crew because he is is useful. He knows about sharks, and he is you know the quote expert from the mainland. So that's that's why he is there. And Quint, I I've only really just sort of like put these two things together. That Quint's job or his vocation, like what he has chosen to do, and being so involved with sharks based on like what happened to him in the past which was basically seeing all of his you know friends and 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 colleagues uh devoured by sharks as he feared for his life he's kind of in a weird sort of way getting revenge on these sharks and i don't think i've ever really thought about it in that in that way before like it is literally his job to hunt and kill sharks so you know his his motivations and everything is the movie doesn't spell that stuff out for us we have to put those pieces together and we don't get the sort of the final piece of the jigsaw until much later when we get the indianapolis speech but just an interesting thing to think about these two guys kind of coming from very different places yet also also similar and this scene really emphasizes their their differences and um 
I don't want to bring the next scene into, into it too much, but I accidentally watched ahead because I really enjoy uh, the next uh, scene also. Um, but they they all kind of have their checklists, like stuff that they're going yeah. through to make sure that they've, they've packed. And Quince is, I mean, I wrote down as much as I could hear slash get from the subtitles and the script, um, but it's like tail rope, eye splice, M1, body clip, pliers, irons. Like it's very sort of like traditional tools just sort of you know like you know uh i'm gonna say like manly but like you know <laughs> it's it's those sort of like uh traditional tools that a fisherman would use and then hooper and his pals are going through their list and it's like 300 sample bottles die marker flares safety float temperature gouge spear guns smg whatever that might be um and the the cage and everything as well and he's got his oxygen tanks um, and then you get Brody and Ellen coming in in the next scene and they're like, have you got your Dramamine and your extra socks and your glasses? <laughs> it's just really funny. Like it super emphasizes that like Brody being out of his depth. But um, I'm, I'm going to save that analysis for next week because it, it really tickles me. Um, but yeah, this this difference in the equipment that they are bringing on board as well sort of shows shows those differences uh again it's you know it's the old versus young it's the generation clash the traditional versus the new tech mm-hmm. um and we sort of see that uh represented in this uh instant animosity that there is between between hooper and quinn um yeah that that difference in the gear is definitely something that i'm glad you touched on because i had that in the back of my head too also tried doing some research because as someone who plays a fair amount of video games. I don't. I would not say I'm like a gaming ass gamer, but uh, an SMG to me is a submachine gun, and that makes this a very different film. Um, <laughs> if 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 Hooper is packing that much firepower, also it makes me wonder why that's not what Brody reaches for at the end of the film. Um, I, I looked that up as well. <laughs> okay were you able to find anything because no. i was pretty fruitless in it except that there's a nautical term that's used in like the racing like 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 the 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 america's cup and stuff that he was doing that's smg and it's called speed made good which is like a bizarre acronym but uh it's apparently that's like the amount of distance that you've traveled over the six hour leg of that day's race um, from what I could find out, but I couldn't find anything about what an SM. I was thinking it was maybe like a type of radar or fish finder, but I was very fruitless in my efforts to find out what an SMG was. You you uh, actually did you actually did better than me because all I when I did it all I got was basically lots of pictures of various um, submachine guns, which <laughs> I'm pretty sure that Hooper didn't. That, that's not what it was. So the only thing I can think of is maybe it was just. The the actor was just basically he either said the wrong letter, or it was just basically so it was just sort of coming up with different terms. I, I don't know, but yeah, I, I couldn't find. I was I thought it might might be like some sort of radar, or some sort of um, some sort of poison or some or, or flashlight or something. But I, I couldn't find anything at all. So uh, so you did better than than me, and and I couldn't see anything that resembled a heavy duty machine gun there either. So, yeah, <laughs> and I can't think that that's the sort of thing Hooper would be um, toting as. And if that's what, if, and why, and if that's the case, why have they never used it? I don't know. <laughs> mm. So I, I've, uh, <laughs> this is silly. I've googled like SMG acronym just to see if uh, you know could find anything 
useful and there's obviously like many uses of it like submachine gun has come up Mm -hmm. uh sequential manual gearbox is another thing so like a car um a car term and also sarah michelle geller so maybe that's what they're referring to there we go sarah michelle geller is just hanging out she is yeah she's just you know (laughs) she looks like um i'll drop this in the discord right now um (laughs) it's just this this picture but with sarah michelle geller instead of uh who's actually in this picture uh let me see general it's on my phone give me one second oh yeah (laughs) yeah someone photoshopped sarah michelle geller into that that's uh that's exactly what they are referring to (laughs) yeah having watched the suicide squad this week very funny very funny picture yeah this is the is it king shark that's uh they've put into like the picture with the um the three the trio from jaws um a lot of people have sent that to me today and it has made me laugh every single time. It's very um. funny and surprising <laughs> no one. Uh, not a movie I loved, but King Shark was my favorite part. <laughs> <laughs> the shark is always the favorite part. Um, just uh, <laughs> to pick up on something, um, we've weirdly spoken quite a bit in the, the last few weeks about like the costuming um, mm. in uh, the scenes and the uh brody in the in the hospital with his sort of like gray gray undershirt sort of showing the difference uh or you know the the dad or the home brody meets the sort of chief of police brody um and larry's suit as well becoming increasingly disheveled as as the film goes on um we've got uh in this we've got hooper back in his uh canadian tuxedo the double denim is back um he has a different hat this time around though this is his uh going going fishing hat i think um and uh we see quince uh quince buddy again we haven't seen him for a little while but he is he is back and i don't think that character has any other clothes uh because we see him in the the same outfit every single time um but what i had never noticed before because i've always just been focused on quint and hooper in this scene i've never really paid much attention to those two like young guys who are with hooper before um we don't get told like who they are or anything else um but they are very 1970s uh painfully 1970s <laughs> like one of them is literally wearing like bell bottom trousers has got like a very 1970s hat uh long hair as well so again we're just like really getting that difference between these sort of like young young upstarts quite sort of like hip uh fashionably dressed at least for the 1970s like crew of of young guys that is with hooper and and helping him get ready and then this like old like salty sea dog who is with quint who evidently only has one outfit which i think has just been getting dirtier and dirtier in every in every scene that we've we've seen him in um just a small observation in that but i i have never really (laughs) paid that much attention to those two guys before i thought it was uh interesting to pick them out at least yeah, they, they look very, um, uh, very hipster. <laughs> I think they're very, <laughs> very seventies hippies. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. Yeah, and um, very, yeah, the sort of yeah, yeah. They have uh, got a bit of a um, like a Jack Cousteau type mm. feel to them. Yeah, very odd. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, yeah. I'm guess I'm guessing as well that they're pay, you know because to get to that island that quick and everything. I'm guessing they're probably um, uh, Hooper's pals from the. Um, from the uh, for Aurora, possibly, mm. or, or his college guys, you know, the, yeah. the, the you know the sea guys. 
Yeah, I was curious about those guys, too, because they just haven't been in the movie. And all of a sudden, here they are helping him load up for the shark trip. Uh, mm. And they clearly are Hooper's friends. They they look very out of place on Amity. Um, <laughs> they are what the worst people on the internet would call soy boys. Um, <laughs> but that was my first thought watching it, which I guess says more about me than I want it to. But... Uh, <laughs> It, it, they they definitely feel like they are there to very much underscore how Quint feels about, like, even the difference in assistance that they have, right? Mm-hmm, is mm-hmm. Quint's assistants are a bloodhound and this guy <laughs> in the same outfit the entire film, like a cartoon character. Um, and, uh, you know, Hooper's got these guys who are dressed like, not not why why would you wear denim near the ocean (laughs) it's a good question yeah (laughs) double as well doubling down on the uh chance of being very soggy indeed it's not a practical choice yeah that's like when i look at these guys they are choosing fashion over function here Mm -hmm. at Mm -hmm. every turn (laughs) um (laughs) yeah (laughs) <laughs> the, 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 these are sea, these are sea people who have actual no practical common sense for actually working around sea. Mm-hmm. You know, they, you know, they, they're not they're sort of you know they they they're not sort of sailors who are going to get sort of wet and stuff like that. Obviously, they're just sort of you know. Mm. Yeah, actually, Brody wears the. I don't want to keep bringing up Brody because that's next week's scene. But like, Brody wears the most practical going on a boat uh outfit when he arrives because he's in this sort of like waterproof like rubber trousers um uh, and jacket and rubber shoes sort of of gear as as quint makes the the observation about what he is wearing but i i gotta hand it to him brody has he has come prepared he has at least like come with the correct attire on uh this denim is not gonna last long uh for for Hooper, he wears it in a, like a lot in the film as well, right? Like he keeps yeah, he those does. jeans on for most of the film. <laughs> yeah. Uh, while we're while we're talking costuming, I think one thing we have to talk about is like Spielberg works very well with uh, two things, and that is kids and hats. Um, <laughs> like if you if you think about Spielberg's career there are there are, i can think of at least three iconic hats that appear <laughs> across uh spielberg's films and that is uh i would say muldoon's hat from jurassic park mm-hmm. uh indiana jones and quinn's hat yes mm-hmm. uh it's such a good cap like it's it it just it fits the character perfectly i don't know i i uh let's see Give credit where credit is due here. Jaws costume. Um, a lot of shark costumes just showed up. Uh... Well, while you're looking that up, I'll just um, just you mentioned that cap. Um, I don't know if you uh, guys are into action figures or anything like that, but the um, anytime there's a, a Jaws action figures or pop figures, whenever they have Hooper, it's always this this uh, this style in this scene. That, that it goes mm-hmm. for is uh, any action figure of Hooper is always wearing that hat. It's like yeah. the iconic. It's like the iconic, easily identifiable thing about Hooper is uh, is the glasses and that hat. Mhm. Mhm. Yep. Yeah. I've um actually I've got the the little 
Cooper Funko Pop figure in front of me as we speak uh very handy for recording um but it's uh I think it's his outfit the Funko Pop is the outfit when he arrives like at the island but it is mm. like the double denim it's got the the jacket um the the denim trousers the the little sort of like clear frame glasses and the hat so yeah this is a a classic Hooper look um I like that he has got a different hat on in the scene and I feel like the hat makes this scene like his that close-up you get of his face when he is just kind of like not knowing what to say in response to Quint and his sort of like awkward little chuckle um the hat like really makes that moment for me I feel the the hat is the only fishing appropriate attire uh Mm -hmm. that that we see Hooper in and that makes me laugh that he got the hat right but nothing else (laughs) Uh, also, um, Louise Clark, Robert Ellsworth, and Erwin Rose, um, mm-hmm. who are all uncredited, but it looks like there's a lot of uncredited people, so, um, yeah. I don't, yeah. Um, anyway, Quint's hat as well does, I think, does so much for the character. It just looks mm-hmm. so lived in and, like, beat up and sweat-stained and, like, that hat has a story all its own and, mm-hmm. uh, just the, the the way like it sits on his head in certain scenes versus other scenes it's like you know he's not straightening it at all he's not you know keeping tabs on it it is i think it sh- especially like we're talking about in this scene it just really goes to show the differences between quint and hooper like hooper is very like uh very much like putting he's putting on airs sort of like he's he's he knows what he's doing and we know he knows what he's doing but he feels like he has to live up to a certain image and quint is like what is the thing that's closest to me that will function the best in this situation and it's that hat Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. yeah it like it the the weathering of that hat is so Mm -hmm. is so good and so important like i i will not necessarily notice costuming unless there is something about it that sort of like really really stands out and i feel like in when you're sort of looking at the oscars category when it's like the the films that get nominated in that category generally is normally like what are the kind of like period drama films that came out this year like what had like the biggest gowns and the like nicest dresses and and all of that sort of thing and it's it's subtle little bits of costuming like this that I really, really appreciate because, you know, they would have had to have, you know, either they found, either that hat, like, belonged to someone, like, on the island and they just kind of, like, borrowed it, like it belonged to a real fisherman or, you know, they they bought it new and then they just kind of, like, weathered it or, you know, threw it in the sea and dragged it through a hedge and fed it to a shark or something, like, just to kind of, like, make it look that way but it's it's very deliberate it's it's done to sort of like add something to to quint's character and he he does look sort of shabbier than the than the other two i mean hooper is sort of you know we joke about his his canadian tuxedo he is at least kind of like well dressed um and sort of like wearing nice clothes but um quint's fashion choices are very very functional it is you know a, a sort of a heavy jacket and a a hat that has seen some things and you know the trustiest sort of uh shirt or like pair of trousers or something that you know he he probably has a, a limited uh wardrobe but it is all kind of like functional and practical and and everything else and i just to sort of like pick up like another 
difference <laughs> there is between the two. This one is super subtle, but um, even just a difference in like the way that uh, Quint and Hooper's uh, pals or, or whoever they're with are kind of like handling or dealing with this equipment. Um, so Quint's, uh, Quint's little, little pal, he is practically wearing this rope. Like it is wrapped mm. around him um it is like a bit of a hazard like because he's quite a short guy and there's like a bit of it trailing on the floor and i'm like you're gonna trip over that sweetheart like pick it up um and he's sort of like they're carrying everything they need in like one sort of suitcase and you know in their hands or whatever and it's it's quite sort of um shabby and just like grab everything and here's the stuff we need the stuff we take on every fishing trip and hooper and his buddies you look at how neatly that stuff is laid out on that on that dock they are marie condoing the shit out of that equipment like it is neatly organized it is like it's practically color coded like it's a real it's a beautiful site they've got everything sort of laid out neatly um and again it's just another like subtle way of sort of showing these these differences there are between these two characters that i just think is so fascinating it's just adding all of this like texture and depth to the film showing how you know far apart these these characters are and we sort of see them get closer as the film the film progresses but we have to you know we have to see them go through so <laughs> some stuff before they kind of get to that get to that place and these early scenes between the two of them are really emphasizing uh how sort of like polar opposite these two are to each other yes and just you know you mentioned something but you just mentioned about how they're uh, relationship changes um i actually noticed something about this scene that i the first time i've actually or, or this time i actually noticed mm. and it's that you see the um the air tank uh for the first time in this film just yeah. on the right hand side and and i think that's one of the, the, the great things about the storytelling aspects about this is that spielberg throughout the film reminds you of that air tank it's mm -hmm. you're constantly even if it's not a prominent part of the scene, you see it like on a, on a table just in the background. It's totally establishing it. And there's something I, I, I noticed for the first time. It's when Quint go, um, uh, sorry, when Hooper goes over to the boat, he's carrying the air tank. And when he gets to the boat, he kind of try, you know, because uh, and, and so he can get into the boat. He kind of holds the, um, the the tank out slightly expecting um, Quint to basically take it off his hands so he can gain the boat. And, and Quint doesn't acknowledge it. He just kind of, you know, a, a ignores it. So Hooper, like, presses it over for a bit and then, like, withdraws it. And what what I found in interesting about that is later on in the film, when Quint's, uh, when Hooper's actually getting ready to go in the shark cage, Quint is actually the one who brings the tank to him. And he's actually helped. And he actually, um, while, while uh, Hooper stands there, Quint actually helps him into the um, in, into the tank. He actually puts the apparatus on his back for him. And to me, that that's that sort of thing that, that really, again, a really subtle storytelling thing is that right at the start, it was Hooper trying to pass the tank over to him, and Quint having nothing to do with it. And then at the end, when when he um, when this kind of like respect has grown between them, with this sort of bond, Quint, Quint's actually the one who is basically almost servicing Hooper by giving him the tank and, and that to me that's that kind of subtle storytelling that Spielberg does but can't be by accident and like I said I'd never noticed it before but it's just like you know that one of them, those little things that sort of pays off later just from this scene mm -hmm. 
That is, I've never noticed that before, ever. <laughs> um, that's good blocking. Uh, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's some good blocking. Wow. <laughs> um, this, I I think that's the, the strongest part of the second half. Um, actually, this is a perfect place. I've been trying to find a way to talk about that since Quint has showed up. I think the blocking in the second half of the film is some of the best uh, ever. And I think you can, you find a lot of like, um, obviously is no surprise uh, given his influence, but that's where the film gets really Hitchcocky um, mm-hmm. is in the way that he kind of plays with the, the the space that the 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 characters occupy because it's just the orca for the rest of the film after we get the scene of of Brody uh next week like we're all that's the rest of the show we are on the water <laughs> um and but the way that that they use the space it's so effective and it's it's so great and we're we're starting to get that now because um it, it just plays with the power dynamics for the next hour and it's it's really really well done and, and hitchcock did a lot of that too like if you look at some of the power dynamics across like vertigo or um rear window and and things like that like that, that take place in very like confi- vertigo is like a big movie but you know the scenes that take place in apartment buildings there's a lot of power dynamics going on i guess rope is is probably the best example because it's all one location um but uh you can you can i think you can very clearly see the hitchcock uh influence obviously there's the big you know dolly zoom shot from from vertigo that's that's repeated here uh and that's like the most obvious one but go back and watch some of the clips of of how hitchcock blocks out a scene and the way he like illustrates power dynamics through that and then watch the second half of jaws and you'll see a lot of the 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 hitchcock blocking mm-hmm. um in that yeah that's a a really really good point and i darren i'm so glad you brought up that sort of like passing of the oxygen tank thing because i noticed that for the first time today as well when i was watching the scene i was like oh hooper's holding the oxygen tank um but i did not make that connection to (laughs) to quint sort of uh handing handing the oxygen tank over to hooper um, later on in the film, so I'm I'm really glad you picked up on on that point because that small detail has uh, blown my tiny mind, as I uh, like to say on the show. So that's a that's a really great observation. And there's there's something else in uh, the sort of the framing of this of this shot as well, and and the positioning of Quint when the the shark cage is brought into this. Um, and I have never really picked up on, on these sort of things before. Um, I say that every week, like I've ever watched a film in this way before, but you know, it's, <laughs> we are finding out new things each, uh, each week as, uh, as we go along. Um, cause I've, I've always sort of remembered, you know, that, that very, uh, iconic little, uh, speech we get from, from Quint about, you know, you go in the water or sharks in the water, etc. Um, uh, but prior to that, sort of like when the cage is like first brought in to the shot and he he makes the remark about, oh, is that a portable shower or a monkey cage? Um, where Quint is positioned and where the cage is positioned, it is mm. like Quint is in the cage. Um, and a couple of weeks ago, I mentioned where Quint is positioned in his cabin and how he is like behind the stairs and it looks like he is in the cage. And I knew I wasn't going insane when I brought that up at the time because that is... 
it is this bit in the film that I was that I was thinking of um, as well, where it's sort of like, again, is like, you know, only a few minutes later, but is positioning Quint in the cage. Uh, and uh, Quint, at this point, believes being in the cage to be very dangerous. Like, why would you be in the water within the cage, like, with the shark? Like, the shark is in the water. He makes a big point of saying that. But the, the positioning of that cage and where it is sort of, like, propped up against the side of the boat, it is making it look like Quint is in the cage. Um, so it is just that small, tiny, minuscule little hint that perhaps uh, Quint is going to end up in, in hot water, uh, as it were, with this shark later on in the film and was just a great link I think from that previous scene as well and and how um Quint is quite often framed or at least in these few scenes as sort of being like behind something or looking like he is is in a cage or is trapped uh in a cage I just thought that was uh yeah interesting and what a just what a great what a great film I think it was only sorry i think it was only at like this point uh because i accidentally watched ahead as well where i was like oh wow like we have one more bit and then like the whole rest of this film we are like on the orca as well like we have got another like uh 40 or so episodes where it is like just gonna be like us uh an occasional guest and these three guys on the water like we're in for a real journey these next few episodes i feel if i just pick up because you just mentioned about the um the bit where um Quint saying the uh, you know uh, you you go in the water sharks in the water our shark mm. and I always find that a little bit interesting that Hooper getting into a sh- uh, the cage and going into the water with the shark that's kind of like a really you would think that that's quite a tough manly thing to do a brave thing and you would think that Quint would actually respond to that as a as a as a oh that's your you know that's gut that's that's a really gutsy thing to do but he doesn't mm-hmm. his tone is almost like it's a really stupid thing to do mm-hmm. and, and i think that's and because because um hooper's kind of reaction that i've seen he's kind of got like a smile on it he's not saying anything but he's got like a smile on his face and i can't i can never tell if he's actually thinking yeah that's what i'm gonna do i'm gonna get him a shark cage because and he decides to smile to himself because I'm I'm a badass. I'm I'm, I'm going to get in this cage because because I'm I'm a tough guy. I I all I'm nuts. I'm, I know, but I'm going to do this because I'm a, I'm a tough guy. And who, but Quint's not impressed by this at all. He just thinks it's a really risky, you know, stupid move. So there's there's more to him than think. You know, it takes more than taking risks to basically get um, Quint's respect. And I think I think that's a, a really sort of interesting little scene because Quint's basically made a big thing about Hooper. You know, not being a college boy, not being a you know a you know a, a, a decent you know manly man or anything. But in this little bit, even at that point, is like you know this this doesn't impress me. It's just it's just dumb. It's stupid, you know. And I think that's a little interesting um, bit of the way he sort of talks to me. It's almost like you know, in that sort of almost like a condescending sort of quiet way where it's like he's just saying like you know it's this is a you know getting into the uh, water in a cage with that shark is not brave it's just stupid <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah i think uh i think the other thing too is what we've talked about um last week yeah last week is about quint being the predator and so to, to have him in the cage here is sort of a foreshadow of the shark get actually getting into the cage like mm, he called sure. he calls it but he calls it because he knows <laughs> uh because he is that 
and mm. he's in the cage while he's saying that. Um, so I think the other thing too is like Hooper Hooper's reaction in this scene. I'm glad you brought that up, Darren. <laughs> Hooper's reaction in the scene is really weird. I I don't know how to read it. Uh, it's 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 hard to get a read on on what he's actually thinking. Like I don't know if he's thinking like. Okay, got to deal with this guy's bullshit for you know however long or mm. whatever. Like if he's just like it's gonna be a long trip, I think <laughs> might be part of it. But like you said, it, it does kind of come off of like, well, I'll show you, you know, you stupid lower class man. Like it, there's, and we talked about that last week. I think there's there's a little bit of classism at play in in, in Hooper, but I think it's also this very like once again building on last week like the 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 insecurities of both of them on full display were like yeah i'm gonna go in there because i'll prove to you that i'm not just this like you know rich kid Mm. and quint trying to be like hey like don't get in the water with sharks i've seen what happens when you get in the water with sharks and it's not a good result Mm -hmm. Mm. yeah i it's it's so difficult to read Hooper's face in this scene. I just, I'm glad, in the nicest possible way, I'm glad, like, you are both struggling with it as well because I'm like, I don't know what this guy is thinking, but Quint, Quint's reaction to sort of, like, hearing that someone going in this cage is even, like, a distinct possibility, it, to me, emphasises that, again, like we mentioned earlier, that very, like, traditional um place that quinn is is coming from like he is this sort of like old school fisherman where there is this like respect of of the sea it's just like my place is in the boat and the shark's place is in the water like i am not going to get into the water with the shark like there's there's a bit of that at play as well as i think this you know last time i was in in the water with a load of sharks was the indianapolis and that was you know the most traumatizing thing that's that's ever happened to me so again it's just these like subtle little hints like we don't know at this point in the film that the indianapolis thing happens we find mm. that out so much later so we can sort of like pick you know because we know the film as well as we do and we've seen it i don't want to guess how many times we've seen it between <clears throat> us i'm guessing in the thousands we don't find out everything we need to know about Quint until until much later but he clearly has this fear of of being in the water and Hooper is not getting perhaps the reaction out of Quint that he thought that he thought he might I mean maybe he he did sort of think that you know uh Quint might be impressed by him him going in the cage because the first like the the first time Quint is like you know you you know you go in the cage or whatever um it goes to hooper and hooper sort of like smiles and nods and and he looks like at least at that stage sort of like pretty i guess pretty pleased with himself Mm. or like you know pretty confident like yeah that is that is what i do this you know i've got this this shape this uh cage and he calls it like a a, an anti-shark cage as well so it's this uh emphasizing that sense of like in the cage you are you are safe you know the shark is not gonna not gonna come into the cage i mean we find out that is incorrect um but he he is sort of like yeah that 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 is that is what i do um but then quint is not receptive to that idea at all you know he he can't believe what uh what he is hearing from hooper and then he sort of like goes into this uh 
singing of of the song which is something that is associated i guess as the film goes on with when things are about to take a turn for the worst Mm. that always seems to be the point that it is that it is brought up um uh, at least for the for the most part anyway so but hooper's face after that i find the most difficult to read because he kind of just like keeps that like awkward like smile and nod on his face like he really doesn't know what to say and we, we've spoken about hooper being quite like socially awkward before mm. so maybe he is genuinely just like okay i'm just gonna like smile mm. and keep keep nodding because i don't know what to say to this guy now mm. he's uh he's lost me a bit <laughs> i think i, I mean as uh, just uh, this has just come to me but i think this is actually one of the few times where quint says something at hooper and hooper doesn't defend himself Right. And I think that the look in his face when he's sort of nodding and smiling, I think maybe he thinks, yeah, he's got me on this one. <laughs> that, he's sort of, that he has no comeback, that, he, that he's, he's nothing to defend himself against, that, you know, the, the sort of, you know, him uh, him going in the cage being a really sort of like risky and, and dumb move. He's, he's basically got, he's got to, yeah, on you've you've won this round because mm. I've got absolutely no comeback to you whatsoever. That That's the only thing I can sort of think of when, when he's singing the song, which is, uh, uh, where it ends with uh, Nevermore Will We See You Again, which is a kind of a reference to you'll go in that cage and that's it. We're never going to see you mm. again. So I'm guess I'm guessing that he's sort of thinking is that in um, yeah I've um, I've lost this argument, but that's the you know because that's that, that's how I possibly could read it at the end. Yeah, I because I, in the previous scene, who we see what happened in the previous scene when Hooper does retort uh, to what Quint says, and it did not go well. It was a pretty sort of. <laughs> Uh, fiery exchange between them and Hooper doesn't respond when Quint sort of makes a remark about like what are you some kind of half-assed astronaut he says nothing um Quint is like laughing maniacally uh, at his own joke but Hooper doesn't say anything so I all I get from Hooper's sort of like lack of response in this scene and and his his look at the end is that he is kind of just like already over uh quince uh bs a little bit he's like i i'm i've got to get on this boat regardless there's nothing i can do to stop that now and i want to get on this boat um i'm not gonna poke the bear anymore i'm just gonna kind of like smile and wave as it as it were (laughs) yeah there's a bit of like all right motherfucker like there's there's like that's kind of how the smile is like yeah you get your shots in yeah um I see how it is, whatever. It's, I mean, it, it kind of goes back to the group dynamics we talked about last week, right? Like the, yeah, sure. The forming, storming, norming, performing type thing. Um, mm. And like, obviously, so still, still in the storming stage. Um, but now Hooper's kind of figuring out where that boundary lies with Quint. Like he's, he's, he's kind of figuring out how to pick his battles a lot easier <laughs> than mm. he did in the previous <laughs> scene. That said, I would like to see, the deleted scene that's just a 15 minute sea shanty war between uh quint and hooper yeah it's like the um the ripoff in pitch perfect where they just have to like keep just like singing back and forth a sea shanty off yeah it like would, a rap uh, battle yeah <laughs> but with sea shanties like mm-hmm. 
Like, cause what do you, what, what do you do? Do you just start singing Shenandoah back at him? Like, what, I, I don't know how you respond to someone singing a threatening sea shanty at you. I guess Robert Pattinson and Willem Dafoe would maybe have a better answer, but. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah, I've never had anyone uh, menacingly sing a sea shanty, shanty to me, so I can't speak into this with personal experience. But yeah, I would also not know how to react. So I, I think I would be Hooper as well. <laughs> like, let me just smile awkwardly while this guy just carries on uh, doing doing his thing. Um, well, Hooper, did... Hooper could react by singing What Do We Do With a Drunken Sailor? because <laughs> I mean, you know, Quint likes a drink so maybe he could sort of you know sing that back at him yeah that's a good point <laughs> there we go uh, yeah <laughs> yeah wow we we very quickly turned jaws into hamilton didn't we <laughs> oh yeah look it was only a matter of time <laughs> with, yeah. with me and you doing this mj it's we've yeah. referenced it before this was uh yeah this was inevitable <laughs> um did you guys do any uh, research, Googling, Wikipediaing around the song that Quint sings? Because I did, but I didn't find anything that interesting. <laughs> um, the, the, the only thing I, and because I found, I found that it was like a, a naval shanty and it was apparently, it was uh, the, the, um, people who worked for the British Navy in Spain. Mm-hmm. Uh, because uh, apparently the original lyric, because in this one I think Quint says um, that they're going back to Boston, right. and the, right. the original uh, lyric was uh, going back to England, mm-hmm. and and mm-hmm. apparently the uh, the thing about Spanish ladies, one of the fe- uh, features of the song is that when um, servicemen had to return to England, they weren't allowed to bring the um, the Spanish wives or or girlfriends back with them to England. So we had to leave them behind. So that was pretty much, but but that, that was pretty much all I could sort of you know find out about the actual meaning of of the song, mm. uh, you know that and and but it you know but, but apparently it's um it's, it's you know but it's managed to survive all this time just by basically sort of like you know being sort of re- repeated. But that, that's about it really. Mm. It is quite an old um old, old song as well. Yeah, I, I didn't get the exact dates down. Eight, uh, mm, yeah, I forgot to write that bit down. Um, <laughs> real old is what I will say, very uh, broadly speaking. <laughs> yeah, I think um, where if you guys had to venture a guess, where do you guys think Quint is from? Because he makes a reference to, uh, uh, you know, growing up, everyone wanting to be a harpooner or a sword fisherman. Um, as well and that's sort of like one of the only backgrounds we get uh, Mm. about him as like a child really i mean i okay it's more of a thought experiment it obviously doesn't super matter but but he's also like he's clearly served in the united states military so Mm. at some point he came over here or his parents had really thick accents that just kind of transferred to him and they had come over here and he did grow up here um but i I, like i'm of two minds of it he's either you know from somewhere across the pond from us or my my thought is maybe he is from boston and he grew up in this sort of that sort of area because there's a lot of fishing that happens there as well Mm. yeah i 
we don't even find out anything in the book, right? About Quint. It's been a minute since I've read the book. Uh, so I... Yeah, I don't remember. <laughs> Erased it from, uh, from yeah. memory. Mm. Yeah. I don't know. It's his his um accent is kind of hard to place and I think maybe mm. this is just because um it is Robert Shaw who like when you hear Robert Shaw's real accent it is wild. Like it, when you hear him speak in his like English accent I'm like this is mm. insane. It doesn't feel like it's the right voice coming <laughs> coming out of him. I don't like it. Um but you sort of hear I you get like a bit of Irish at times yeah. like not yeah. too, super strong but like um yeah it's it's kind of untraceable. I think that sort of like adds to the uh to the enigma that is Quint but you can't really place his accent. Yeah, I I, I for some reason I mean I'm not very good at spotting accents anyway. But I've always had a, a a feeling that there's a bit of an Irishness about mm, him. Yeah. Maybe it came maybe it came in with Irish his parents were Irish immigrants. Yeah. And so the... and and um it, 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 isn't there a large Irish community in Boston? There yes. is, yeah. Yeah. So so maybe that's it. Maybe he sort of like, you know, grew up in in the in like, you know, the Irish quarter or what whatever that he sort of but yeah, like the fact that he he talks about his um you know, when he was a kid, everyone wanted to be a harpooner. It's like, you know, why why would you say that? You know, if if you know, why, why would you mention harpooners if he didn't live like in a, at least a fishing community or a sailing community of some sort? You know, but that that, that would be my guess. So, and the fact that he mentions Boston, it, you know, that that would tie in if we want to speculate there. Oh, I feel super dumb but i just uh checked something because i was like i know he refers to boston like in a point in the film that's not um singing the song and uh when they're like doing the comparing their scars and stuff um mm. when he's like put your hand underneath my cap and like to feel like the the lump um he mentions Ooh. like st patty's day boston oh, of course. So oh, that, oh, yeah. of course, yeah. there we go so that adds that's like the i okay he's Confirmed. gotta be from boston. canon <laughs> he's he's irish and probably <clears throat> yeah. like lived in boston okay yeah. we nailed it well done us <laughs> yeah good job we solved the mystery yeah i was just mystery. like i know it's mentioned at another point and i was like i can i'm sure i remember him referring to to saint patty's day as well and it's like yeah okay of course I mean, we all know Quint loves a drink but of course uh, yeah <laughs> be out celebrating saint patrick's day yeah then the irish thing makes total sense I bet everyone listening to this was just like yelling at their like yeah. <laughs> their phones like Irish. <laughs> well, duh. <laughs> look, we worked it out eventually. Be nice to us. <laughs> so, uh, w- one thing I have here is um, if you look at that scene <clears throat> where Quint is in the in the quote in the in the uh, shark cage, mm-hmm. there is in the background of that scene there's a a couple sitting in front of a station wagon and their kids are playing in an empty boat yeah i have a theory here we go that <laughs> this is the griswolds from the vacation <laughs> series that is not what i was expecting you to say but i'm delighted <laughs> that's my headcanon is that <clears throat> When we meet the Griswolds in 1983 on their trip to Wally World, 
they're trying to make up for that faded 1974 summer vacation mm. when they went to Shark City for the 4th of July. Yeah, and the beaches were closed and it was just yeah. it was a whole thing. Yeah, that yeah. makes a lot of sense. <laughs> and that, that's the sort of thing Chevy Chase's character would do. It's like, okay, kids, go and play in the boat while there's a big shark around. You know? Yep, 100%. <laughs> that's exactly why I thought that. I was like, they have big Griswold energy in the back there. <laughs> Clark, should they, be, should they really be in the water with my shark around? No, honey, you'll be fine. <laughs> <laughs> big Griswold energy. <laughs> oh, boy. Um, That'll I... be the episode title, and people will be like, how in the hell did they get to the Griswolds? Look, we get there eventually. <laughs> All roads, all roads lead to the Griswolds. Yeah, I don't know they sure do. <laughs> the payoff is uh, is worth it. Um, I love the idea of just the Griswolds just like having shit vacations in the background <laughs> of famous disaster movies. <laughs> this is a spinoff I could get behind. Yeah, like. I would <laughs> They're just like they're on the boat in Speed Two. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I my brain is think is failing now thinking of other disaster movies. <laughs> I was just enjoying yep. the uh, I was just enjoying the thought. <laughs> uh. Um. Okay. We'll go to New York when the Avengers um, battle happens. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just a, a lovely yeah. time in New York and then just like, oh, no. <laughs> There's things in the sky. There's a giant hole you, in the sky. You know what? I hate these, the movies I'm about to mention, I hate them with a passion, but I would watch the crap out of the Griswold Jurassic World vacation. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> They're in like the margarita place like with that guy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> They're hanging out with Jimmy Buffett at the Margaritaville. Yes. This has come full circle. <laughs> Not the first time Margaritaville Guy has been mentioned on this podcast. <laughs> nope. I don't like those movies, but if you slap the Griswolds in there and make it a disaster movie about their very bad vacation to Jurassic World, that would that would improve the movie, I think, a hundredfold for me. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I could not agree more. <laughs> um... Did you guys have anything else in this scene? Or are we just going to come up with Griswold spinoffs now? Nope. I The only thing occupying my brain right now is Clark Griswold facing off with a raptor. And it is yeah. so funny. Yeah. <laughs> <clears throat> yeah. Have you got a, anything else, Darren, you wanted to you wanted to mention in this well, scene? Well, I'm, I'm surprised you've not mentioned it. There's two instances of yellow in this scene. Oh, go on. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, if you look at all the equipment that is laid out Ooh. there's this big pile of some sort of like yellow equipment all bundled together oh yeah there is mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. and also just as um and quinton is um little little friend are going down the steps as they're walking towards hooper in the background there's a um there's a boat and the bit that's just above the, I, I don't know what they call it but the bit that's just above the water is um is basically got is uh, bright yellow mm. yep Oh, yeah. there's a there's also in the background. Uh, so Clark Griswold has on a yellow jacket, and then um, there's like a there's like a like a worker 
like two workers walking kind of behind the station wagon and one of them has what looks like a, like a yellow safety vest on as well mm-hmm. yeah it's uh it's not gone away uh, it's maybe it's been a minute since we've kind of like really picked up on uh, uses of yellow in the scene but it's certainly there's, not gonna not gone away <laughs> there's red doors in the background too mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that's yeah. quite a new actually that that's quite unusual because um I saw a documentary about um, Joe's V while swatting for this uh, 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 podcast. And apparently um, Spielberg was really uh, against um, having any of the colour yellow, and uh, sorry, the colour red in the film, apart from when it was blood. Mm-hmm. So it, because he wanted basically the, the, the colour red to be only, only so to see, you know, to be reserved just for the appearance of the shark and blood to give it an effect. So it's, it's quite, quite, interesting me you spotted a bit of red because apparently that's something he tried to keep out of the film that's weird because alex kittner has red shorts on too yeah yeah and the um the red boat the guy the um the guy who gets killed in the pond his like little rowboat mm-hmm. thing is is red so they mm-hmm. did ah. not stick to that <laughs> yeah he but, screwed up somewhere yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, but funnily enough those were both instances that the shark went for mm-hmm. so when mm-hmm. kittner went out you know the shark got him when he was wearing the red and when the guy in the, the the guy's boat, that was the one that the shark attacked. So in both instances, the shark went for those reds. So maybe the the red in those thing was basically a prelude to the actual blood coming. That's yeah. always how I've read it. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Is is that? And it's in in here. It's behind Quinn, so it's you know, early foreshadowing. Oh, <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. I think so too. Yeah, I wonder if he was like, okay, there is too much red. In Jaws, I gotta make up for this in Schindler's List. You get one shot. <laughs> yeah, That's saved all. it. Saved it all. The <laughs> there can be red if it's in black and white, and he's just that that gif of the guy tapping his his temple. <laughs> yes, this is very true. <laughs> um, alrighty, I don't think I have anything else in my notes. Um. I think we'll leave it there for that week, this week, if everyone is uh, happy they've uh, got all their points across. I mean, I'm sure uh, we could talk for like another hour about Jaws. <laughs> um, no, the next hour is going to be me listing movies that Griswold should have just a background uh, yeah. location in. So. Yeah, we've reached that point in the episode now where yeah. MJ is just distracted by the <laughs> latest insane thing that we've come up with. Um, <laughs> and there is no clawing back from... This happens with... Uh, increasing regularity i find in our episodes we like come up with an insane idea and then that is like us done for the episode yep they go to the griffith observatory in la right when the terminator shows up (laughs) (laughs) the griswolds on purge night i'd watch that film oh boy (laughs) (laughs) in a fortified studebaker station wagon or whatever (laughs) not studebaker uh, just armored up an armored up station wagon just driving through the background on the fury road mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yep <laughs> what's the uh, right, um yeah. the uh, various gerard butler um disaster movies i mean i feel like that is like all of them but oh the yeah. down move those down movies like white house yeah. down and all that 
Oh, the like the London, the the various yeah. things have fallen. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> they can be in yeah. All of those. Olympus has fallen. London has fallen. And yeah, uh, fallen. yeah. Greenland. He was in Greenland. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the the has fallen series. They're like each one. They're like this this is this surely this won't happen again like this happened that time we were in washington like let's go to london it'll be safe there and then it happens again and they're like well <laughs> <laughs> guess uh guess we have to try somewhere else uh and oh, hope man. that doesn't fall also <laughs> and hope that doesn't fall also <laughs> that's what those films are about I, right things fall yeah, over i, I don't know I mean, jamming them in a Godzilla movie is about the easiest thing you could do, right? Like, that's mm. that's number one with a bullet. Yeah, yeah. Godzilla versus Kong versus the Griswolds. Done. <laughs> <laughs> Just the kaiju-sized Chevy Chase. Oh, my lord. <laughs> that is the image I would like to take away uh from this episode so i think that's the best place to leave it um if someone is very talented uh drawing wise and would like to create that for us we would love to see it um i don't know what we will do with it we will just enjoy looking at it so uh insert the griswold into the disaster movie of your choice uh and and send us a picture and we will or photoshop i mean anything uh i feel like we could make something (laughs) make something of it if it becomes accidentally becomes a thing like the shark being arrested then we'll do a incredibly niche silly competition over it but uh yeah we'll see we'll see what the people provide um yes please send uh, in your best clarkzillas <laughs> clarkzillas oh okay right <laughs> darren this is this has been uh, a delight to have you on i hope that uh <laughs> you have Uh, enjoyed being here as much as we have enjoyed having you here and um if you have anything that you would like to plug or let people know where they can find you on uh, on social media then uh now now is your chance okay well my um my twitter handle is um dazza loves movie um i actually ran out of letters so it's movie (laughs) not movies um, where I talk, uh, and on there I, I mention what films I like on there quite a lot. Um, I've done a lot of writing on a on a website called halfguarded.com where I do a lot of uh, movie blogs and TV blogs and stuff like that. Um, the main thing I'm in, I'm uh, involved in though is a podcast called At the Flakes, uh, which is a movie podcast, and I'm on there once a month with the rest of the team, and I um, we do reviews of the latest movies. And another thing that we're doing on there, which is very dear to my heart, is we're doing a um, a retrospective of all the Star Trek movies. Um, we're not going through them minute by minute, though. That would be insane. <laughs> so we're just doing like one episode to a um, to a movie. Um, I think the first four are out at the moment, and that's something that we we basically going to the the making of them all the themes to do with the films and everything. So we get pretty in-depth with it, but that's something that is very near dear to my heart. So if, if you're a Star Trek fan or a, or a film fan in general, uh, just um, uh, look us up on them um, at The Flakes and um, you'll be able to see uh, um, or hear, hear, hear me on there. And I just want to say as well, thank you once again for having me on. I've really enjoyed it. And this is, this is the first time I've actually got to talk about Jaws on the podcast. So I've um, this has been great for me. 
Hey, what a what a great introduction to to talking about Jaws is uh, <laughs> dissecting one minute and ending up with uh, Griswold Zilla or wherever it was we we got to <laughs> Clark Kong, <laughs> yeah, Clark Kong. Um, MJ, do you have uh, apart from all of your Griswold spinoff films, do you have anything that you would uh, like to plug or promote? <laughs> Yeah, uh, I don't think it's out because I don't think it's recorded yet. Um, but we do have an episode of Real Perspective coming uh, about The Suicide Squad, which is a movie that one third of us very much enjoyed and two thirds of us could take or leave. So uh, you can you can hear that. I believe we have a guest on who also enjoyed it to make it a, a sort of team up uh, mm. battle, which is going to be interesting for me when we record because I don't think it's a movie worth talking about. So <laughs> it's just kind of there. Um, but yeah, we have that real perspective. Also, by the time you hear this, should have a new logo up. Sarah, I will send it to you because Woo-hoo. it is really good. Um, so you'll get the sneak preview of it. But um, by the time, I think by the time the Suicide Squad episode comes up, which should be Sometime between when you're hearing this, if you're hearing this on the day it releases, and the next episode, um, it should be out. I want to also use that as a launch pad for uh, a uh, uh, the, the logo as well. So the new logo should be coming with that, and it'll be much easier to find on your podcatchers of choice, because currently it's our old logo from when it was called the Before and After Show. <laughs> um, but uh, Brian Demarest, shout out to him, uh, at Evil Flynn on instagram he did the uh the 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 logo and it is real good mm-hmm. it's real good mm-hmm. real good <laughs> see what you did there ah. Wait. um <laughs> very much looking forward to seeing that uh excited that i get the sneak preview as well um i uh i guess still at the moment have another podcast uh we recorded our final episode in our disney classics series um when we started or like before we started recording me and my co-host were like oh this will be uh like an hour or so we might have to do something to try and uh, and and fill this out uh it ended up being like three hours long so it's <laughs> oh gonna release <laughs> it's gonna release in two parts uh, i believe um and we did our sort of big recap of the whole series we did various lists um answered some very silly questions like what disney characters we would invite to a dinner party we ranked the ultimate disney snacks and that is uh attractive uh snacks not edible snacks um so that was a lot of fun and uh you can hear how much our lists changed over time as well it was quite dramatic some of the uh rises and falls that we had in our in our various lists from from when we started to when we finished so that was a great way of ending that series uh for for jumpcast so you can find all of our old episodes uh there's i don't even know how many episodes 57 maybe more uh episodes that you can listen to almost a hundred hours of content so uh there's there's a lot to go back and listen to if you like disney uh you will find an episode on your favorite disney film uh or least favorite or any of them it's uh it's a good time um and yeah definitely go and check out the finale uh episodes uh plural because uh that was a lot of fun to record uh and a very long recording session as well um yeah i think that's that's about it for me uh if you want to 
follow us at uh, the show on twitter you can find us at jaws for a minute if you want to follow us individually you can find me i'm at sarah buddery and mj is at mj smith 891 uh, our dms are open on twitter on our uh, on the show's account so you can message us on there if you've got anything uh, you want to tell us any feedback or anything else uh, we would love to hear that from you um or you can email us uh, jaws for a minute at gmail.com um if uh you don't use twitter for some reason um i mean good for you if you don't use twitter it's a bit of a hell site sometimes um but not on our twitter our twitter is nothing but wholesome um if you want to follow our uh wonderful graphic designer uh he is at hex shadow on twitter he did our logos um which you can buy on our various uh, items of merchandise from Tee Public and Red Pub- Red Bubble even. Uh, the link for those is in our Twitter bio. Um, you can also purchase the theme song uh, to the show written by uh, MJ, written and performed by I should say MJ's lovely wife Kristen. Um, she is at Kristen Falls Music on Instagram so you can give her a follow and you can find the link to purchase uh, the song from her Bandcamp uh, on her Instagram or I believe it's also in our link tree on our Twitter profile as well. Um, couple of other ways you can support the show as well as merchandise you can rate review and subscribe uh, on your podcatcher of choice uh, in big and exciting news we uh, placed seventh which I think is our highest ever ranking in the Apple podcast uh, film history charts in Great Britain so <laughs> that was very exciting um, I'm not sure how long we will stay there whether we will go up whether we will dramatically go down but you can keep us there by uh, rating um, leaving us a review telling your friends about it just getting the word out there and we really really appreciate that um, if you were able to support the show with a small donation you can do that through our coffee page the link is in the twitter bio for that um, we've set a new donation goal uh, and that means there is a new contest so if you donate uh, through our coffee page or if you have already donated through our coffee page you will be eligible uh, for that competition to win a piece of merch um, so you can find all the details of that in our um, link tree on our twitter uh, page as well um, I think that is everything for this week. Uh, so until next time, it's Jaws O'Clock somewhere. <laughs>